So here we are back at Reality Check Chat. It's been a while and we thought we'd do things a little bit differently this time. We thought we'd each take a little topic that interested us and then we're going to give our personal impressions of Ukraine and how it's affecting our life or not. And we hope that you are interested in listening to our new podcast format for Reality Check Chat. I'm Barbara Scott. And I'm Judy Herschel. And I'm Liz Kearney. I think we just had so much to talk about. We're figuring out how to get it all in. And there's so much going on, Barb. I I think now more than ever is a very good time to talk about some of these issues to get the real information out because you hear so much. One thing that, or one thing, and it's actually the number one thing that as a county commissioner and as somebody that talks to a lot of people during the day, 99.9% of, hey, how you doing? I get a response of all these gas prices. And by no means am I minimizing the effect. My husband travels 300 miles a day for his job and all that comes out of what we have to put in. So I understand personally the hardships of it. But what I'm finding in these conversations is a lot of blame. And if you look historically, usually when prices go up, politicians are blamed, business owners are blamed, and there's a lot of finger pointing and anger and, you know, in the political realm, it's used as leverage for elections is, you know, right now, the biggest thing, unfortunately, that the Republicans are also mimicking is Biden is responsible for the gas prices, which is the most ridiculous thing in the world. So knowing a little bit, I am not by any means an expert. I delved into this this week and I and I got some facts for us to talk about because really it's not Biden. It, it, it's confusing to explain exactly everything involved in it, but most of it's pretty darn basic. So gasoline and oil-based products come from crude oil and it's the number one commodity in the entire world right now. So it's- What does that traded. mean? What does that, that mean, mean number it's one? the most widely traded commodity on the stock okay. market. And it really has proven to be the most reliable Giant commodity that people depend on currently, whether we like it or not, businesses rely on it, individuals rely on it, like no other commodity that is exchanged on the stock market. So crude prices, go ahead, Barbara. Let me just stop you for, for a second, Judy, because as you said, we, we could have a ton of podcasts on this and one of them could be, why is that? Why are we so dependent on these oil companies and the owners of them get breaks? Why do they yeah. get breaks? All right, go ahead. Sorry. So to be continued on that one, because it is important to talk right. about that. Right. So crude prices, the actual crude accounts for about 56% of what you're paying for at the pumps. Okay. That 56% is the average over a 10 year period ending in around 2020. So it, it could be a little different, obviously, now that two years have passed, but that's the last average that they have announced. But the prices definitely involve a lot of like wide fluctuations and a lot of factors affect that. Prices of gas locally are largely determined by a global market for crude oil. So it's what is happening around the world and not necessarily what is happening in your own country. There is a, a direct effect where it's produced does have an effect on the price, but generally the number one factor that affects the price of crude oil is the global market. And we can get into futures. That's another thing because it's not actually what we're paying. It's what they anticipate is going to be paid for it, which that's another podcast too. What affects this price? 
price of crude oil is many things. Environmental concerns can affect that, earthquakes, hurricanes, things like that. Those things are usually temporary. We're seeing this now, political events, global conflicts, um, they can send prices much higher very quickly as we're seeing currently, but they can have a really direct effect on what the price of crude oil is. Things can be happening you know, all the way on the other side of the world, and it's going to affect what we are paying here because of that global market. Does OPEC affect the price of crude? Does OPEC? Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's that's a whole other thing and wormhole I was going down earlier when I was reading. But there's a lot of different factors and it's hard to explain it in layman's terms. So what I'm going to do is I'm, I'll, I'll do a broad overview of the percentages of what it entails. So we know crude is affected by natural disasters. It could be affected by COVID during um, that period of time when Trump was in office that we were paying $2 you know, a gallon. It was because of what was going on with COVID and the supply and the demand. A basic for economics, a basic in understanding the cost of products in our country and throughout the world. Nobody so, could go anywhere. Nobody could go anywhere. So this BS that you hear that, well, price, prices of gas were really low when Trump was here, well, if you understood <laughs> the market, you would understand nobody was driving during that period of time, which cut the cost of crude oil drastically. And that affected the price of gas at, at the pump. It's, it's, it's just a very easy thing to explain. That, that is factually how it's done. So cause and effect has a really direct effect on that. So does inflation. Also seasons do. Did you know that there is winter gas? And there is summer gas. And the, the, the process to, to make those ter- certain types of gasoline are different. And there's legislation right now to push towards just selling winter gas because apparently it's cheaper and it's easier. But there are, you know, seasons affect it. That's a big well, one. Well, you know, that's something I didn't realize. I did realize that we always called it the vacation. When everybody's going on vacation, the gas prices rise. I didn't realize it was a formulation of the actual gas. It's a formulation and it's also that supply and demand. We travel more during the summer. So that supply mm-hmm. is going to be a lot more limited. We don't really go anywhere, particularly where we live in Pennsylvania, where there's snow on the ground so much during the winter months. So it's supply and demand. It's the winter gas versus the the, um, summer gas. There's a lot entailed in that. The standard price for crude prior to currently, because currently is is an anomaly that we've seen before, by the way, you know, prices of gas have been close to $4 a gallon before this has happened before. Um, The standard price of crude typically is between $50 and $70 a barrel. It has been as much lately as up to about 120, but it's ranging between 90 and 100. So the price of crude has gone drastically up. Now, in addition to what you're paying for the crude, which is about 56% of what you're paying at the gas at gas pump, your federal gas tax is about 18 cents, um, 18.4 cents. Your your state tax, which I believe we're number two in the country, is about 58 cents. It's 57.4. And profits equal about 14% of the total amount that you're paying at the gas station. Hey, I have a novel idea. Yes. Let's tax the billionaires that Liz is going to talk about. And then Mm -hmm. gas taxes could be reduced. Absolutely. But the problem is, is nothing can be done to stop them from passing that on to the price, because that is something that could possibly be done, is that they take a a less profit. But is that going to happen? Probably not. So in addition to that, 
you know, the distribution and the marketing of it is 12%. So, so we've got the price of crude oil, which will go up and down, but depending on what the factor is, we've just talked about them. Most of them, if not all of them are out of our control. Taxes, okay, they could be stopped, but a lot of money is needed from those taxes to be able to, to do essential things. We, we remove our state tax even temporarily that's going to have a direct effect on our roads and our road repairs. So there's a cause and effect to everything. Um, but as you can see, most of those things are pretty set in stone and are determined by things that we have absolutely no control over. Now, what can Biden do? Now, recently he did the Russian energy ban. Some people are happy about it. Some think that, okay, this isn't going to really have an effect. And just to put the information out there, because I, I thought, okay, how much of Russia's oil, crude oil, do we really use? And, and it's only 8%. Oh, I agree. 8% was what, well, it's 2% of our supply. So oh, maybe that's Russia's, what I heard. Russia's crude oil and petroleum, petroleum products, what they export to us represent 8% of all of its imported oil and less than 2% of our supply. That's a fairly small number, and I'm sure it does have an effect. So one of the things that Biden has said, okay, we're going to release 60 million barrels from the reserves, which will unfortunately have only a temporary fix on it that will not be long term. Um, so what basically is happening is that all of the experts, all the experts in the field, and that's who I'm going to rely on because I am by no means an expert. All of the experts in the field are saying there are no quick fixes. Increased production of gas and oil here or increased production of alternative energy sources is going to take a very long time. We're in the midst of it already. You know, as we transition to more green energy, we know it's going to take a, a lot of time. For them to, let's say in a hypothetical world, we did decide, okay, we're going to become more self-reliant and we're going to take more oil and gas, natural gas, which is another story. We're going to take that out of the ground quicker. We're going to do, we're going to put in more mines. We're gonna, that takes a ton of time. Is that what we want to go in? You know, is it, do we want to become more self-reliant on oil and gas? You know, I say no. What do you say, Liz? Um, I kind of agree too that reducing the tax on gas, for example, maybe in the short term to take the, the bite out of the gas pump, but ideally we should be using less gas. I mean, it's hard in a rural area, of course, but most of the rest of the world pays much higher tax on gassing than we do. Oh, yeah. yeah we, we bitch about four bucks a gallon. I mean, I'm sure it's like eight bucks a gallon the rest of the world. No, I don't, I'm, not make, I'm making that up. I don't know. But we're the least taxed country on the it's planet a, nearly. It's a lot. You know? It's a lot. Yeah. Sorry, we should be discouraging gas use, not encouraging it. Yes, exactly. We should be thinking about yeah. alternative ways. Mm -hmm. And also the one thing that they say Biden should do, which are you going to get to the part about the and the exit? You go ahead and do it and then you, you go ahead. No, no. Yeah. If, if you're if that's included in your thing. No, I was going to, what, where, where that falls into play. So, so there's a big push right now for them to resume work on the pipeline. To the XL pipeline. Yep. It's not a big push. It's a political agenda. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, thank you. Thank you for that correction, because it is, it's a political agenda because at the end of the day, this verifies what I just said, the pipeline using state lands to, to be able to drill. Okay. That's going to be done in what amount of time? So even if that were to happen, we're talking 
decades, we're talking 10, 20 years for us to get to a point where we're self-reliant in their eyes when we're in a point in our history where we're trying to go the other way. So everyone's in agreement that we need to start working towards, and we all have a different plan. Some want to do it quicker. Some want to ease into it. That's basically in a nutshell. And some don't want to do it at all, which are the people that we're talking about right now. If we're transitioning to more of a a green energy type of, of culture, doing something like that, which takes a very long period of time. And they're looking at, because we need this gas so quick, let's, let's avoid environmental concerns. Let's bypass all these things. And these are in the bills that they're, they're recommending. So if they did it, it would take long. They would take shortcuts still. It would not be good for us in any way, shape or form. And it's not a quick fix. People want relief right now at the gas tanks, and that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. But Liz, you brought up a very good point. Most of what what can be done needs to be done by us. And that's what researchers are saying. What researchers are saying and experts are saying to have the biggest impact on the price of gas, it relies on us, our lifestyles and what we choose to do. The working from home initiatives, you know, mass transit or or carpooling, um, you know, making sure that that we're maybe driving five miles under under the, the speed limit that we normally do. That makes an impact, but each of us doing those little things, experts believe will have more of an impact than anything else. Mm -hmm. So if we want to look at who's responsible for lowering it, really, if we just did our, we could really make a big, huge difference. But as you can see, Biden can't do anything. And if he could, it's not going to be a quick fix. And then the long run fix it all. Things that Biden could do won't have a long-term effect. I'll just add here that Judy just did air quotes. Yes. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> on a podcast, you can't see air quotes. <laughs> Hey, Judy, yes. I know a little bit about XL, the XL pipeline that Biden canceled. It's just a piece of the pipeline, and it was going to cross part of Montana, where I used to live. And I covered it some for our little newspaper. Tar sands oil from Alberta. It was going to Texas to be re- to refineries to be shipped overseas. This had nothing to do with our gas price. It was not going to stay in the United States. And additionally, the tar sands oil is very thick and would have had to have been pumped under high pressure, which is a big risk, you know, for leakage, um, for pipeline leaks and bursting, which is dangerous for the environment. And it would have also crossed some sacred lands, including an aquifer for the, the Sioux Nation and across South Dakota. And so there's, there's can- Canadian oil going across the United States to be pumped, to be shipped overseas. Yeah. The leakage uh, business that people are concerned about, which is a legitimate concern, you know, mm-hmm. just think about if you would like that to come through your property. I, I, I would Especially not. Especially under high pressure. Right. And also there was, and they argued too, that it was going to create jobs or it would have been some short-term pipe building jobs. And I read that afterward, it would have been a minimal, like literally a handful of jobs, like to watch right. the pipeline, but it was been minimal jobs, gripping risk, you know, for an international company outside the United States. Surely we can find better jobs mm-hmm. and green energy and put that mm-hmm. together, you know, and come up with a solution that's better than mm-hmm. reestablishing that XL pipeline. I mean, please, mm-hmm. we're smarter than that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe we're not. I don't know. But also pointing the finger at Biden is completely pointless. Completely pointless. That kind of gets me to my polarization. I might go backwards here because I was going to end with how you would think that this time when Ukraine has been invaded, there's the dictator Putin, who's such an 
um, not only an authoritarian, but I don't know what to characterize him as, wants to win at all costs. He doesn't care about anything except winning. And, and that power. gets to our power. Yeah. And that gets to kind of our polarization because each side, Democrats and Republicans, they want to win. But the Republicans want to win, in my view, and many people's views at all costs, even if it even if our democracy is lost in the process. And that not only that, but they have the nerve during this time to say, yes, we support Ukraine. It's democracy. It's Biden's fault that we're not giving sanctions earlier, that they're not bigger, that they're not less that they're not, whatever he does, they are pointing the finger at him and blaming him for not doing the opposite. I mean, it's insane. Why aren't we working together? We have the chance here to show that democracy is what this world needs and a real democracy and not ours being put on the list of those in jeopardy. But I thought this was interesting because I was reading a, an article by Elizabeth Colbert in The New Yorker. And she was she's really reviewing some books, but in the process, she's talking about how do we get to this polarization? And she talks about how in the 50s, the Democrats and Republicans were so close that political scientists were complaining. They couldn't distinguish really between them. Their platforms were so close. They were divided pretty evenly between the two parties. Like there were 50% of them were Catholics, 50% of the Republicans were Catholic. 50% were men, 50% were women of both parties and mm -hmm. blacks, even 50% of blacks were in both, you know, there are 50% hmm. in the Republican party, 50% in the Democratic party, those that, you know, were allowed to vote, but unrest, there was ugly stuff going on that didn't have anything to do in their eyes with the political party, the anti-communism, school desegregation, immigration. The Americans fought in ugly ways, she says. That's what she says. Americans fought in ugly ways. Yet two parties were, were like this until, can you guess what made the change? 9-11. No, before no? that. Before that. Women's rights, civil rights, really? women's rights movement, civil rights movement, Roe versus Wade, the Nixon Southern strategy, and GOP, the Republicans became whiter, Christian, and male and powerful and the democrats and powerful because they control the rural areas listen both parties i'm sure have been involved in some shady dealings i'm sure but as a party of morals i'm thinking democrats got the republicans beat and i don't think anybody's gonna absolutely ever ever argue argue that so the two parties kind of parted right mm -hmm. um and so their platforms what they stood for also really changed so you know what a democrat thinks about it and you knew what a republican thinks about issues let's just take roe versus way we know that you know that the democrats have been pro-choice and the republicans drifted to you know no choice it's come down to you can tell who's a democrat and who's a republican based on pretty much their religious faith their television shows there was a study done democrats mm -hmm. like certain shows and watch them and republicans watch and like completely really? different shows yes i believe it i totally believe it the party affiliations has been reduced to us versus them and this is what i get back to the winning and how trump said when he was running in 2016 he said and i remember seeing this or hearing this we're going to win at every level he told a crowd in albany we're going to win so much you may even get tired of winning winning he changed his 
platform ideas. You know, he's pro-choice, he's pro-life. You know, when he was running in 2016, he did all these different things, but his main focus was on, we're going to win. And so the people that want to win, those Republican stalwarts around him, they want to win. And that's still the case at all costs. It's us versus them. And it's getting worse. And it's getting worse because now it's happening on this very, this crisis, this world crisis with Ukraine. They're not getting together to work out what the United States can do. I don't think. They're just pointing the finger at Biden. I absolutely agree. There was a glimmer of hope. And, and I don't know much about this guy, but Adam Kingsinger, Kingsinger. Oh, Kingsinger. Yeah. Yeah. He's a representative from... Illinois, I believe. He's the one. Yes, he's the one along with Liz Cheney that they kicked out of Congress. The they committed them. Yeah. Well, not only that, but they took them out of their leadership positions. And he and Liz Cheney are the only Republicans on the uh, January 6th, you know, the, com- the, yes. the yeah. what is it called? The commission. The, the January, January 6th commission. Adam mm-hmm. Kissinger and Liz Cheney are the only Republicans on there. And Trump has said that's why they're bad. Oh, yeah. Find out what happens. Anyone that disagrees with him or stops him is bad. I, I, you know, what's it going to take, I guess, is my frustration. My, my idea is people need to be more informed, but you can't force people to learn what's going on in the world. You, you, you can't. You can't. But, but with, with Kissinger, or am I pronouncing it right, Kissinger? Um, he actually did not vote to impeach Trump. Am I right? Oh, he did vote. Because he just put a thread out, which I just read. It said, I want to be honest. In Congress, I have only a few votes that in hindsight, I regret. My biggest regret was voting against the first impeachment of Donald Trump. It's important for political leaders to be transparent and admit regret when needed. The bottom line, Donald Trump withheld lethal aid to Ukraine so he could use it as leverage for his campaign. This is shameful and an illegal act directly hurting the Ukraine people. So I don't think that he voted for the first one. He didn't vote for the first one. I thought you were talking about the second one. He voted for the second one. Yeah. Yeah. As did Liz Cheney. And that's, you know, as did others. But others kind of cave. But it's going to take more people like Liz Cheney and him to stand up. I just don't know what it's going to take. I don't. No. It's disheartening. No idea. It's scary. I think what we have to do is we have to convince uh, independents in Pennsylvania. We can do a lot by not allowing Mitch McConnell to get the Senate back by getting independents to go along with Democrats and, and vote for our Democrats. And we can work on that. And we are working on that. But we need to work on that heavily. And in a lot of states, I mean, the Senate is just such an important, crazy body that I would like to get rid of. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's true. not representative. And we can't have a senator from, from we can't have two senators from Washington, D.C. Yeah. I remember, I'm from Washington, D.C. And I remember as a little girl learning that we lived um, in the suburbs at this point, you know, right across the border in Bethesda. The People in Washington, my grandparents, for example, three grandparents that lived in Washington, D.C., they couldn't vote. They didn't have representation. They could Did vote. They pay taxes? Of they shouldn't have paid they taxes paid then. Ta- exactly. And that's they what- shouldn't have paid taxes then, right? No taxation, right. no representation. Well, that's what Washingtonians say. That's they, what they say. It does, and they get uh, that woman that's been there for a long time, but she doesn't have a vote. What's the point from Congress? Uh, but no senators. And what Wyoming does, you know, of course, mm-hmm. South Dakota, course. North Dakota, they get mm-hmm. two. Mm-hmm. So does California. Mm-hmm. And so does California. And that's the yeah. thing that diminishes mm-hmm. the California's 
uh, mm -hmm. Californians influence. Voice. In voice. Yeah, their mm -hmm. voice. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, mm -hmm. Our voice is diminished with only having two senators from New York State. Because I'd like to think most people, I'm not going to say us as Democrats. I'm going to take the politics out of it. I'd like to think most people are kind. I do. You know, not perfect, but kind. I'd like to think most people on this planet are good people. And that the fringe is the exception. When you have a Senate where there's two representing each state, it's not representing the morals of this country, basically, is what it comes down to. It's not. We have a bunch of immoral, you know, I'm not going to say it because I'm I'm limiting my swearing on the podcast, Barb. <laughs> well, but, <laughs> but I can use a of those words. They, they have, they're skewed to the far right, even though the country is not skewed to the far right. It's in the middle. The country's in the middle. You know, we have all these very far right representatives mm -hmm. who are and obviously blatantly racist who are obviously and blatantly sexist i don't know how more blatant they can be they're not even hiding it anymore and let's get back to gas they support these oil companies and we still are subsidizing oil companies they shouldn't be subsidized we should be get rid of that and subsidize the uh, as much green energy as we can all right, Liz, tell us what you were. Well, about. yeah, I was going to talk about, we're talking, I was thinking about billionaires and how Americans, America has more billionaires per capita than the whole rest of anybody, any other nation. Okay. I remember a, a quote, I believe it's from um, Congresswoman AOC, who, who asked, why are there billionaires? Why are there billionaires? I mean, a small number of people accrue the majority of the wealth in this country. And at the same time, it will say, like, we can't afford things like school lunches for school children. We can't afford to feed hungry children. We can't afford to have publicly financed camp campaigns. And they say we can't afford that. But we can, if we could do some reasonable taxation of billionaires. And I was jokingly thinking about my proposal to take every billionaire in America and cut them off at tax 100% of the wealth over their first billion dollars. A billion you know dollars is plenty of wealth. <laughs> I know, but still, this is my yeah. pipe dream, but a, a billion dollars <laughs> is enough wealth for anybody, right? That's even $1 billion is an ungodly amount of money. And Jeff Bezos has like, what, how many hundreds of billions of dollars? That's just stupid. But anyway, yeah. there is a proposal in Congress. There's a proposal in the Senate. Mm -hmm. Senator Wyden, he's from Oregon, to tax billionaires and to raise, I think the number, it would raise like trillions of dollars over the next 10 years. A reasonable taxation that would not take away any of their wealth, but it would provide things that we we say we can't afford. And that's a choice we make. And the other point, the other flip side of that is that if we, the 99% could vote in our own, could vote, if we all voted for reasonable candidates, you know, we could have those things. And again, if we all conserve gasoline more, more carefully and, and or in an organized manner, that's our demand. Demand drives the price. If there's no demand, the price drops. What? So we could have these people by the short hairs, as it were, if we would organize as the 99%. Question, because I was, I had a, okay, so, so prior, when, when Trump applied his tax cuts in January of 2017, do you guys recall offhand, and I wish I had this in front of me, what it went to and what it went from? What the tax? What it was before the tax cut, what it went to. Because I'd like to know what they're proposing now, because I've heard that it's right in the middle of that. I do know that that affected, I believe, almost $2 trillion in tax revenue when he had that tax cut. That That's a lot of money. That would and it's, take and a it's lot why of we have such, a, And they don't care. It's why we have such a deficit. Not that I care about the deficit or, or anybody else. Exactly. And I'm not, I'm not hating on anybody for making money, but you're making that 
huge amount of money off of a country and a culture that is really struggling to benefit your market. There's reasons for taxes. There's there's reasons for as to why they shouldn't be given subsidies. You know, there there's these needs in our culture and and they have an obligation. And maybe that's an opinion and it's an opinion that we all share, but that obligation is not being met. Too many too many billionaires and millionaires are not even paying taxes. So that's a huge loophole that we have to close. But I don't remember those numbers, but we can cir- circle back around, but also something you said Judy made me think yeah, I lost my train of thought. All right, never mind. I don't remember. If we ever recorded in the morning, man, I would be on. <laughs> By the end of the day, oh my God, I forgot what I said two seconds ago. So so next time we're going to record mm-hmm. it says Sam. <laughs> we Go ahead. Re- recorded the morning, but not quite that. Or not 6 a.m. Um, no. I was thinking that the tax that Biden proposed, I don't know if this is the one in the Senate that that you're talking about, Liz, maybe not. The tax that Biden proposed was, I don't know if it was in the middle. It wasn't, it wasn't a huge change, but enough to get uh, money to, to spend on things. And that we, I thought we all wanted, but now I'm not so sure if we all want to, if we want to help people, you know, I'm not Mm -hmm. sure if we, this country has the interest in helping people, especially people of color. I'm not so sure they do want to help people that are down and out that, you know, they, (laughs) we didn't even renew the, the child tax credit. I mean, what's that about? We should be able to afford this. And the other thing, this is what I was thinking, Judy and Liz, when, when you were talking about collecting more taxes, we don't even have enough money to give to the IRA. So the IRA can collect the taxes in a fair way. You know, we pay our taxes. They don't have to come after us. But footnote here, it's not the IRA. It's not the Irish Republican Army. It's the IRS, the Internal Revenue Service. End of footnote. In order to find out all these people that are cheating us, the IRS doesn't have the staff, doesn't have the money to do it. That's where a lot of money should go. To me, we should be funding, funding, funding the IRS so that they can have everybody paying their fair share. In this funding we talk about, because you get the argument from the Republicans saying all they want to do is spend money, spend money, spend money. This money has to be spent to save us money down the road. It has to be spent. We're we're going to end up spending so much more on things, you know, even not to change the subject, but, but this scenario of infrastructure. Okay. They're complaining about all this money coming in for infrastructure. What the heck are you going to do when all these bridges start falling apart in the next 10 years? What are you going to, what, what is the plan to, to fix a 1950s infrastructure? It, it's, it's the not same thing. It's it, not 10 years. It's the next like 18 ooh. months or something. Exactly. So what's going to happen? Something has to be done. And, and by God, you don't have a plan. So, so something has to be done and it had to be done a month, uh, you know, 10 years ago, you know, we're, we're even a little too late in getting it done. I kind of look at it like that. Our, our culture needs a basic foundation to flourish and be successful. And when you have such a disparity between the people that are working and the very, very wealthy and the people that are poor and the very, I mean, that's growing. That's that. And it's getting worse. So if we don't get investment in our, in our energy, in our education, in, in our, in our, you know, our homelessness and our substance use and our mental health, that's going to come, come 
back, it will, it will worsen. And we're going to end up paying tenfold for it. And, and those solutions down the road aren't going to be so easy. They're going to be 10 times harder. So they don't look at it like that, but that's how life is. We, we all, when we are, when we are responsible adults, we plan for the future. We, we do things to prevent it from being worse. It, it's the same in every industry, no matter what you're in, you plan for that. The decisions you make now will affect the future. You're not living on a whim. Why is it okay for our government to live like that? It's okay. insane. Yes, it is. All right. Sorry. I don't know what I was going to say, but Liz, you do, do you remember what you were going to say? I think I was. Another thing, we can have a whole podcast on things we would like to see money spent on. And another thing, and very moderate, moderate taxes on the very wealthy would raise a ton of money. And one important thing we could look at is decreasing our national, um, our deficit, because who holds our debt? The Chinese. And that drives, usually used to drive Republican people crazy. I think about another country, especially a communist country, holding our debt. And that, that makes us, it does make the country in a way more insecure. And people aren't thinking about that either. That's all. No. We were going to speak just briefly, I think, about our personal perspective in terms of Ukraine. And mm-hmm. Does anybody want to start on that or? I have an idea. I have a, I have some very moderate direct experience with Ukrainian people. And I was working in Yellowstone um, during the boom years, like 2008. And it was very hard to find Americans to come work in a national park, you know, and the, um, the concession type jobs for, you know, so it was hard to get Americans or American college students. So they depended a lot on international students. It's called, it's a J1 student exchange program. So I did meet a few Ukrainians who came through that program. And I remember thinking, well, first of all, they sound to, to the American ear like they have the Russian type accents. They were engaging. They were sharp. And I remember thinking, if Ukraine ever got their act together, they could run the world, just based on this handful of young people I met. So they were cool. And I was, I was really impressed you know, with the Ukrainian people. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, the president, Zelensky, he, he's a rock star. You know? yeah. <laughs> I read a little meme somewhere that every woman in America has a crush on Vladimir Zelensky. And I think that's totally true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't have a crush on him because yeah. I could be his grandmother. But... Um... <laughs> I do think that he's done a great job and I, and I fear for him and I fear for, you know, mm-hmm. there are so many people, so many Ukrainians, mm-hmm. refugees that you see or or not that are in shock that this is happening to their country, just like we are, except mm-hmm. we're not experiencing it. Mm-hmm. And it's made me grateful in some respects for being so lucky in life, but mm-hmm. it's also made me think you never know what's going to happen with an authoritarian uh, ruler. Mm-hmm. And people should take note that we almost had a coup in this country with an authoritarian president, not too well-educated, as Putin isn't very well-educated either, it's my understanding, about history, and at the top of our you know, leading, so-called leading this country. It's heartbreaking. I, I mean, I can't stop reading it. I can't read my novels. I can't read any fiction. I can't read anything except the Ukrainian news. And then I get upset. Me too. I don't think I've cried as much as I have over the last two weeks. I'm not a big crier. I did my genealogy recently, as you know, and both Eric and I have ancestry over in that part of the world early as four or five generations ago. I can put myself in anybody's shoes, but when you can relate to it at that level, that this, these these are my family, and then you take it to another level is, you know, you're right, Barb, this, this we're not so far removed personally in the United States from this happening here. And then you, you know, peel back the layers of all of it and you realize, oh, geez, this is scary on so many levels. Yeah. Scary and it's sad and it's frustrating. Eric and I said that if the kids were older and out of the house, we'd be over there. <laughs> 
And I, and I believe it. I, I think my, my motivation to want to do something I, and I don't know what to do. There's and not a lot of demonstrating in this country. Is there though? I'm surprised at that. No, because there's not a whole lot of people that are against it, but there is a, there is a lot of um, support on social media. There are a lot of churches. What wait, wait, what do you mean against it? Who would be? Well, well when I think of protest, I think of, of, I mean, could there be protests against Putin? Yeah, absolutely. Could there be? That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, But the support that I'm seeing in the form of of those types of protests you're talking about is is a lot of outpouring of churches with Ukrainian descent in our area are collecting things. They're having events. I know my local church had an, you know, I had an event where we got together and prayed. So you're seeing groups and, and people coming together to do those types of things, raise money. There's a lot of that going on. There's a lot of people coming in and donating the supplies and then they're shipping it over. So you're, you're seeing that. But I think as this goes along and other start countries start to get more involved, China may be a little more involved over the next couple of weeks with giving them supplies. The threat is going to become more real. And it, to us anyway. And I think we may start to see just that. Barb. I saw an easy way um, to help individual Ukrainians. I saw this on, on social media. People are going to finding Ukrainian bed and breakfast, you know, like on um, Airbnb and um, per, you know, buying, renting rooms for that going, of course, but providing income that way. For oh, we've done that. Have, have you, uh-huh, that's cool. Yeah, we did that about right when it started. We went on, Eric and I went on about a week's of a stay at a bed and breakfast. But that's that's how you know, we, there was a big push for that on, on social media. There were a lot of people doing that to get money to the people right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was proven to actually get be getting to them. So right. we decided at that point, you know, let's do that too. Mm-hmm. Um, that's cool. Yeah, that's good. I yeah. don't know that. I, I haven't really thought about what to do. I just, I just don't have hope. I don't, I just think it's going to be worse, mm-hmm. just going to get worse. And I don't, I don't know what to expect, mm-hmm. but it's not going to be, it's not going to be good. I mean, maybe all those people I saw in Berlin and, and other places that were demonstrating against the war Mm-hmm. is because they're closer. But. I'd like to see the Russian citizens do a little bit more. I think a lot's going to rely on how they react over time also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. actually, frankly very depressed about it, to tell you the truth, but go ahead. Yeah. They completely, many of them, older ones, older Russians I'm, I've been reading about are are um, buying the, the party line or the state line, I guess is what you call it. Well, that woman that... that um, At the news station? The news station, yeah. Um, is, she, is she alive? She is, and yeah. she got a fine, and she's out of prison. They they talked, they um, interrogated her for 14 hours. She wasn't allowed to have an attorney or anything. But she's being investigated for whatever it is where you can get 15 years, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> because she did call it a war. So, you know, that for so-called fake news, I'm using air quotes here on the fake news thing. <laughs> <laughs> It's 15, up to 15 years in prison. So she is being investigated. She's not off the hook, but she is out. And I don't know if the, the West's reaction had anything to do with, with it, or it seems like Putin doesn't really care what people think about his authoritarianism. I, I think that the, just the talks, the so-called peace talks are nothing more than get your mind off of it so I can go in there and bomb everybody. Yeah, it's a show. It's mm-hmm. a show. So I, I don't have high hopes. I wish we could end our podcast on something positive. As you're talking, I'm trying to think of something. Does anyone have any, any positive <laughs> closing notes? Let's hope. I don't know if this is positive or not, but let's hope March goes out like a lamp because I'm sick of the mud. <laughs>
Amen to that. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sunshine's coming. I know that you don't like the Senate, Barb, but I've heard through the grapevine that they have gone on and voted to get rid of daylight savings time. Yes, so, I heard that. I so, heard that. but it's not going to happen until the end of next year. And so there's no more, no more fallback. Sweet. Yeah. No more. Yeah, it's crazy. Oh, yeah. I hate it. Good. Good. Right. Yes. So that's yeah. some very good news yeah. since we're just coming off of one, right. which I'm still recovering from. So okay, that's good. That's great. So th- I think we we've, uh, we're going to wrap this up, and I just want to remind everybody that um, this is Reality Check Chat. Feel free to subscribe at realitychatchat.com. We want to thank Amanda and Carl, Liz and Judy, and you guys have a great week. Thanks, Barb. Bye, Liz. You too. Bye-bye. Bye, 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 guys. Bye.